You know that moment when you have to tell someone what you do for work? <laughs> you know, I, I get to a party or we get to a church thing and there's someone I don't know. And we start talking and a minute in, the social construct tells me, tells them, that one of us needs to ask what the other person does. So, Lauren, what do you do? Well, um, I'm in tech, uh, security technology. Two sentences in, eyes glaze over. <laughs> the social contract has been fulfilled, and now I can move on and we can talk about something that they're more interested in. You know, The Office is one of the most watched television shows of all time. It led Netflix's streaming service in 2020, seven years after its final episode aired. 57 billion minutes watched in 2020. Something about work, something about the excruciatingly mundane work of paper sales in a small town in Pennsylvania resonates with people and draws them in such that that's what they want to watch. You know, for most of us, there's nothing we spend more of our waking time doing than work. Not leisure, not eating, not time with family. Work is the thing that we do the most. My name is Lauren Tangen, and I'm excited to conclude our Biblical Worldview series today with the Biblical Worldview of work. You know, there's quite a few points that I have. They're all going to be working together. It's a little more content-heavy um, than maybe a normal message. And so there are some worksheets. If you want to look at it, you can fill it out. Uh, they should have been passed out. You can just follow along, or you can tuck it away and throw it away later. <laughs> I think most of us are accustomed to considering a biblical worldview. I think it's one of the things that this church does really, really well. We consider the biblical worldview of family, of marriage, maybe of finances, of really, really hard topics like Pastor Barry shared earlier in this series. But then over here, we have our nine to five, our six to three, our eight twenty fours a month, our September to June in the classroom. This is over here. And I think it's easy to feel like this is what we go do so that then we can do all of this. That God is here, he's in our families, he's in all this, and then we and that's here. But you know, work actually has an amazing story from the Lord. It has an amazing design, and he has an amazing purpose for it. And so that's what I'm excited to share today. This message particularly for me comes at a really interesting time in my life. Because more than ever, I think this past year has challenged me in work. And I felt a struggle with work more than ever before. Um, so I'm excited to share. I'm praying that God speaks out through me, but that also God speaks to my own heart. Let me pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness and your favor, uh, your goodness above all things. I pray that you are in this time, you are speaking through me, God, and you are helping us to explore and enjoy and be encouraged by what you have to say about work which you designed, and it is good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's three main things that I want to look at today. First, what does the world say about work? Then, what does the Bible say 
about work? And finally, what does that mean for a Christian in the workplace? The world has a lot to say about work. Go to Amazon and look at the bestseller list of books, and you will see how much the world has to say. Achievement, how to be your best self, how to win and influence people, how to escape work altogether. There's many, many different things that the world says, but I'm going to distill that into three that I think cover um, a broad majority of what we hear from the world about work. Number one, your work is your worth. You know, in every job, there are moments of failure, right? A project that fell through. Maybe you received really harsh criticism and there was no consolation of encouragement or construction. Or maybe you were even let go and you walked through a season of unemployment. In those moments, has that failure made you feel less than? Or has it made you feel like you were worth less than if that thing had been a success? I think that this feeling is a result of a work ethic and achievement culture. And don't get me wrong, hard work is really admirable and it's godly, and we'll look at that. But I think when we start to pursue hard work and achievement out of our flesh, then it becomes easier and easier and easier and more likely that we believe that it's our work and what we produce that makes us worthy. And I think that this mindset leads to things like workaholism, broken marriages, and distant parents. Second, the world tells us, love what you do. I call this one the millennial mindset. Every year around graduation, videos stop, start popping up on social media of commencement addresses. And you know, they, you see a clip that sticks around for an hour, maybe the good ones a day, a couple days, or a week. But I think that there actually is one that has stood the test of time and remains the most iconic commencement address of all time. Steve Jobs gave this address to the Stanford University graduating class of 2005. This is one of the quotes he had. You've got to find what you love, and that is as true for work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to, is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. You know, Steve Jobs said it in 2005, but I think that this mindset had been brewing in a younger generation for a long time because of a reaction of the generations preceding, and specifically the your work is your worth mindset. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, at work or on a podcast, I absolutely love what I do. Love what you do and you never work a day in your life. You know what? When my alarm goes off at 5.45 or 6.15 in the morning, depending on what I have going on, and I've got to lead a status call at 
I have a status report that needs to be done by midday. I have a budget that I need to look at in the second half of the day. And I've got a pile of emails because my leadership has worked deep into the night. I'm not excited to work. I'll be honest, I don't often feel like I love what I do. Corporate speakers, executives, and our peers, I feel like they make us feel like if we don't love what we do, we're doing something wrong. And I think this is especially prevalent in the millennial generation. I think we have been told our whole life to love what we do. And if we don't love what we do, at least pretend. And as we'll see, there is a real biblical foundation to having joy in work. But if we believe that our worth is found in loving what we do or being ultimately passionate about what we do, I think we're set up for failure. Our value comes from our identity in Christ and the joy, is an o a jo the joy in our work is an overflow of that peace that we have with him. The third thing that the world tells us, escape the nine to five. You are valuable because you have autonomy. You know, on Instagram or Pinterest, you'll see a quote card and it's a picture of nature and there's a quote over top. The picture of nature and the quote are entirely unrelated, but it's something like this. Believe you can and you're halfway there. You know, I actually saw this one recently. It was a, a glacial lake, two guys in separate kayaks paddling up the lake towards two mountains in the background. And over the top of it, it said, you are too valuable to work a nine to five job for 45 years. The world tries to tell us that our truest self is found outside of work that we can truly be who we were meant to be when we escape work. Of all of them, this one rings the most true for me. Over the pandemic, we had lots of extra time. I know a lot of people got into bread or sourdough, pizza. I was way in on pizza. But one of the other things that I got really into was something called the FIRE movement or the FIRE community. FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And I found it fascinating and super, super compelling. There's books, podcasts, there's even a feature length movie, which I made Mindy sit down next to me and we watched it specifically so that we could talk about it on a road trip. <laughs> she was much less interested to read the book. <laughs> the thesis is that with the right priorities, it's much more achievable than you think to leave the workforce 10, 20, or even 30 years early. There are stories of these people at 28, 33, they're out of the workforce. They are autonomous. They can do whatever they want. Now there's a lot of things about this movement I think are fantastic. Fiscal responsibility, wise investing, uh, taking joy in just the simplicity, family, nature. But what I found it doing to my heart 
was fanning this flame, burning this fire in me that made me feel like I was wasting my life at work. And the fire community is not alone in this. I think it's an extreme. But if not to early retirement, then to the weekend. I think it is normal for us to feel like we need to escape work. The world is telling us that work is the necessary evil we must do in order to truly enjoy the life that we were meant to live. For myself, this is definitely the one that I need to unpack the most. But what actually is work, and what does the Bible say about work? The incredible thing about work is that it means so many different things to so many different people. I I think the American kind of traditional idea of work is the nine to five. Clock in, clock out, Monday through Friday. But work comes in all different shapes and forms. Here's a few. Your fiscal year starts toward the end of August usually right around Labor Day. You are client-focused and have spent your vacation working to prepare your messaging for the upcoming year. Your clients are a mix of personalities and depending on their years of experience, you see somewhere between 30 and 200 every day. Meetings generally start at 8 a.m. and they end at three. Aside from designated work stoppages at Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, and summer, you are face-to-face with your clients every single day. There are no work from home Wednesdays. You always work in the best interest of your clients, even if it takes them 10 years to realize that they should have listened better. Here's another one. You have meetings, preparation, administration, and working with others Tuesday through Saturday. Every Sunday, you have a really big presentation, and then on Mondays, you get to rest. That's a quarterback. No, it's Pastor Barry. (laughs) Our quarterback. Last one. Work starts anywhere from 7.15 to 5.45 a.m., depending on your team's morale. It continues steadily through the day, even through lunch, which actually tends to be your busiest and messiest time. Your primary duties end somewhere between 7.30 and 8.30 p.m., but then overtime usually kicks in as you prepare the office for the next day. Weekend work is required. PTO is limited. It never rolls over. Intern contribution often shows sign of promise, but it usually creates more work in the end. You feel like the CEO, often the CFO, always the COO, and the CTO is really hard to find. The definition of work is activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. All of these things are work. Being a business person, being a teacher, being a pastor, being a homemaker, being a student. It's all work in God's eyes, and God has a purpose for each one of them. All right, what does the Bible show us about work? Number one, the Bible shows us that work is reflective of God's character. Work is reflective of God's character. In creation, God worked six days and then he rested on the seventh. 
Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God himself was working. Now, God's act of creation, it didn't need to be called work. But the Hebrew is very specific in that it uses work to describe it. The Hebrew word for work. God is the omnipotent God, all-powerful. The act of creation for him could have been, was as effortless as anything has ever been effortless for a human. As effortless as Steph Curry hitting a free throw in practice. Yet the Bible is clear. God worked. And that same word for work to use to describe God's act of creation is used to describe our human work. The Bible intentionally interlocks what God did in creation with our human work. So how does our work reflect God's character? First, work reflects God's character in bringing order out of chaos. Uh, The second verse of Genesis 1, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The word is tohu vabohu. And it's translated as formless and void. It carries this connotation in the original language of being wild or unruly uh, wasteland. Before creation, there was chaos. And the biblical narrative is very, very deliberate in how it tells the story of creation. Six days, two parts. Days one through three, God orders and creates the realms. Day and night, sky and sea, land and vegetation. Then days four through six, he goes through and one by one fills and populates those realms. Sun, moon, and stars, the sky flyers, the sea swimmers, and then the beasts of the earth and all of it culminating with man. God took this formless void, he took the chaos and he gave it form. And our daily work reflects that. Every wild budget that we go balance, every formless essay that we review and encourage towards structure, every chaotic child that is loved and encouraged and parented, that is ordering our own chaos. The second way that work reflects God's nature is work is reflective of God's creative nature. Not only does our work and his work order, it also creates. Everything that has ever been invented, God could have just made appear like manna, or it could have existed at the point of creation. But instead, God has chosen to reflect his creative character through his image bearers, through humans. He has chosen that everything created since creation has been by humans. When humans advance technology, healthcare, art, financial systems, we are reflecting God's creative nature. Now, maybe now more than ever, it's clear that there are human innovations and human creative endeavors that are contradictory to God's nature, that they are in sin, and they are against God's design. We do live in a broken world. 
But the biblical truth remains that God has chosen to reflect his creative nature through us humans, and we have an opportunity to carry that out in alignment with his will day by day. Point number two, the Bible shows us that work existed in the good creation. Work existed in the good creation. When something's made, it's made for a specific purpose. It's made for a specific purpose, like a light bulb. The purpose of a light bulb is that it hangs and it illuminates and gives light to a whole room. Now, it was made and it was designed to function to complete that purpose, right? It, it screws into a socket, electricity passes in, it goes through the wire filament that sits in the middle of the bulb, the wire filament becomes superheated, starts to glow, and gives light to the room. An airplane's purpose is to carry passengers or cargo from one place to another far more efficiently than could happen by land or by sea. An airplane is designed so that air passes over the top of the wing far faster than it does the bottom of the wing, creating a pressure difference such that there's lower pressure up top, giving it lift and keeping the plane in the air. Things made are made for a purpose, and they're designed to achieve that purpose. Man's purpose is to glorify God. Ephesians 1.12 says, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Our purpose is to be image bearers of God's glory to the world. And there's a number of different ways that we were made to function to achieve that purpose. Love the Lord your God and have no other gods before him. Love your spouse, love your children, love your parents, love your neighbors as yourself. But actually, the very first function that God gave to man is in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. In the perfect state of the created world, God did not have Adam and Eve sitting on a beach in the Mediterranean with a cold drink in their hand. They were not sitting under the tree of life having a picnic. They were not golfing. They were not on a cruise. They were not picking up new hobbies. When it was perfect, Adam and Eve were working. Work has always been a part of creation. But point number three. The Bible shows us that work is corrupted by sin. Work is corrupted by sin. How many of these have you heard? The Sunday scaries. I've got a really bad case of the Mondays. I, I gotta get back to the grind. TGIF. I'm just out here living for the weekend. Have you felt these before? Because I know I have. I know that I've led calls on Friday saying, oh, I'm just glad it's Friday. Like, almost every Friday. <laughs> you know what? This is totally natural. This is the normal thing to feel. In the beginning, God worked and God made work and it was good, but the story doesn't end with Genesis 2. The enemy tempts Adam and Eve, they take the bait. What God had made for man to partake and enjoy was suddenly changed. 
And God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. For the first time, work became associated with struggle. The harvest became choked back by thorns. Natural joy in what we do was replaced by sweat. Abundant, overflowing life was replaced by hard, dry, dead soil. I referenced it earlier, but um, this year has truly been a challenge of mine with work, more than any other. Um, feeling like work doesn't matter, like it's a waste of time, like I don't have a purpose. I think it was the culmination of a lot of things, becoming a new father, living through a pandemic, taking on more responsibility of work. And I, I think living through the pandemic has actually made all of us, in a way, reflect on the things that we spend the most time doing. And work, for almost all of us, is at the top of that list. More deeply than ever, I have felt the curse of Genesis 3 on my work. I keep a journal on and off, sometimes more consistently than others, but I, I found this um, out of my journal from over the summer. This is specifically in relationship to my job. I definitely don't feel myself mentally. I feel beat down, tired, anxious, close to broken. I want to get out. What is it that's actually burdening me? God said to Adam in Genesis 3, in pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. And I've been living that. I know in some way we all have lived that. We all walk that on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And some, I'm sure, to a far, far greater extent than I could understand. But the truth is that the story doesn't end with Genesis 3. And praise God for that. Point number four, the Bible shows us that even after the fall, work is good. Even after the fall, work is good. First, the blood of Jesus redeems our work. God became man, perfect in the flesh, lived the life we were meant to live, we couldn't live, died the death we were supposed to die. He has redeemed our life. The blood of Jesus redeems our life. Hallelujah. Amen. And that extends to our work too. This new life and a new hope gives us an opportunity for new work. Yes, work has been broken by sin. It is sticky, it is messy, and it is hard. But even so, the blood of Jesus on our life, our work can be redeemed. Second, even after the fall, work is good because work is a way to serve and to worship the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Worship doesn't start and end for us on Sundays. It's not contained to our small groups. It's not only when we're in the car and we put on worship music or listen to a sermon. It's not only when we're having our quiet time and reading our Bible. 
Because of the blood of Jesus and because of me, we are image bearers of the Lord, we can worship the Lord from 9 to 5. We can worship the Lord in our classrooms from September to June. We can worship the Lord in our 824s a month. We can glorify and worship God in our work. Even after the fall, work is good because work is satisfying to the worker. Ecclesiastes 5.18 says this, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. I read this really interesting article from the Harvard Business Review titled, Does Work Make You Happy? Evidence from the World Happiness Report. Here's two quotes. One of the most robust findings in the economics of happiness is that unemployment is destructive to people's well-being. We find this is true around the world. The employed evaluate the quality of their lives much more highly on average as compared to the unemployed. The importance of having a job extends far beyond the salary attached to it. A large stream of research has shown that the non-monetary aspects of, of employment are also key drivers of people's well-being. Social status, social relations, daily stru structure, and goals all exert a strong influence on people's happiness. The Bible says it. Human research shows it. And I think anecdotally, we can all think of examples where we found some joy, some satisfaction in working. Um, there's an example. When I was earlier in my career, and I was an analyst, um, I was still traveling every week, and I was going out to Chicago Monday through Thursday, actually to a town, uh, Schaumburg, Illinois. And I, we would be there, we would leave on Thursday afternoons, fly out, and get back around uh, on Thursday nights. As an analyst, you are not the, you're not really the master of your work. You kind of take it as it comes to you. You don't really get to forecast, okay, this is what I have to do this month or this week or even sometimes today. It's kind of, you do what needs to be done. Well, Thursday, right, you know, maybe two or three hours before we were leaving the office, uh, deliverable came across and it needed to be overhauled and redone to send to the client the next day. So it ended up with me and I started working on it. And pretty quickly I realized, okay, this is not going to be done before I leave the office. Fine. Got on the plane, four-hour flight, worked all the way home, good. Got home thinking, okay, I've made pretty good progress. Like, is it really going to need to be sent tomorrow? Got on the call with the managers, three or four of them joined, showed it to them. They said, this looks great. Now can we do this for the rest of the deliverable? Mind you, at that point, I had probably gotten 25 to 30% of the way through. You know... I don't know if everyone here has done this for work or for school, but you know that feeling before an all-nighter? And the first thing that you feel is, I think you feel grief. I think you are grieving the night that you're about to lose. <laughs> but then something funny happens, and it, you, you know, it starts to kind of get going, and you're realizing this is not a midnight night. This is not even a 3 a.m. night. 
I'm going to watch the sun come up tonight. And you almost start to get a little adrenaline. The Red Bull really helps, but you kind of start to get going. And so I got going probably around 10, and I worked up until I got on the call that Friday morning at 8 a.m. and showed them and said, this is it. I was working on that up until the call. I got on the call. I showed it to them. They said, Lauren, this is really great work. Now, mind you, they weren't a part of my working session, my managers. They were happy to let me work on that through the night. But I showed it to them, and they said, Lauren, this is great work. Send it over, and now go get some sleep. Before I even got on that call, I knew it was good. I knew I had done good work. I was excited to get on that call because I had worked hard all night doing something that they needed me to do. And I handed it over, and before they even shared their feedback, I knew it was good. Work can be satisfying to the worker. <clears throat> Lastly, even after the fall, work is good because work empowers the worker to care for their family, their church, and their community. The Bible's super clear. God has set up human society to function on work. Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, worked. He was a tent maker. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 to 10, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Work is good to the worker, because it's God's gift to us to provide. This is how God has designed his material provision. Again, he could have every day manna from heaven. But that's not how he designed creational work. That's not how he designed human society. He designed his good provision to us to function through work. So with our biblical worldview in place, what does that mean for us as believers? What does that mean for us in the workplace? Here are four things that I think define a Christian in the workplace. Number one, a Christian in the workplace is neither defined by their work nor above their work. Defined by their work nor above their work. Because our identity lies in the cross of Jesus, we can put to death the lie that we are worthy because of our work. We can put that to death. We are not worthy because of that. We are worthy because of who we are in Jesus. And second, we can set aside and push aside the lie that we need to love what we do 100% or we're doing it wrong because we live in a broken, corrupted Genesis 3 world. Work is hard. And second, a Christian in the workplace is not above their work. To believe that we are too valuable, like that quote said, to believe that we are too valuable to work is to believe that God made us wrong. God made us to work. And to me, this has been the, this has been the idea that's challenged me the most. 
And to be honest, this is the truth that's giving me the most hope and the most grounding as I go forward. Because if I can believe that I'm made to work and it's good for me to work, for me, the biggest challenge was feeling like I was wasting myself or I, it was better for me if I could get out of work, if I could escape work, if I could fire. But if I believe in my heart that the truth is that I was made to work and that's where I'm called, then I can put that aside and I can approach day by day then just the struggle that comes with work. I can set aside the I need to escape. It doesn't stop work from being hard, but I think it's the first step in pushing back the lies of the world. Application number two, a Christian in the workplace lives a godly life in and out of work. Lives a godly life in and out of work. The first way is very simple. A Christian's job is not inherently sinful. To work as a drug lord or to work in an abortion clinic, obvious examples, but those are inherently off limits. And we each have our own conscience and there are different ways that we evaluate different lines of work. But if we are of the belief that what we're doing is sin in God's eyes, then that's a job that a Christian shouldn't have. Second, a Christian does work in a morally excellent way. A Christian does not cheat, steal, lie, or deceive to get what they want to benefit them or even to achieve short-term or long-term success for their organization. Our calling isn't to men. It's to the Lord. Third, a Christian's job permits them to live a godly life outside of work. Is my job so time-consuming that I can't be a part of the Catalyst community and have brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I have to travel so much that I am an entirely absent parent? Or is my job so stressful that I can't fulfill my duties as a husband? These are examples, but a Christian's job cannot preclude them, cannot preclude us from living a godly life outside of work. And the fourth way, the, another way that a Christian lives a godly life out of work is that a Christian takes godly rest. On the seventh day, God rested, and so should we. This isn't, this is good, I, I like it too, but this isn't just kicking up on the couch with a cold drink and the TV on. This is taking intentional, soul-satisfying, spirit-quenching rest. This is to be a regular part of the Christian work life. Point number three, a Christian in the workplace works hard and works well. God finished creation, stepped back, and said, it is good. He didn't look at it and say, mm. you know, Jesus practiced carpentry for almost his whole life, and I was playing this scenario out in my head. Do you think that someone from Nazareth, they're redoing their dining room, and they come to him and they say, Jesus, 
we need some new chairs. Great. Thank you for your business. Come back in two weeks. Okay. They come back. Jesus says, you think you can give me another week? You know, the Jordan River right now is just swamped, and the supply chain is out of control. Or do you think he said, you know what, I, I know I quoted you here, but I got to bump that up a couple denarii because I forgot to take into account Herod's tariffs on birch. Or do you think that when someone asked their neighbors for a wreck, they said, you should really avoid the shoddy workmanship of Jesus of Nazareth? No way. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ carpentry, would have been on the front page of Yelp. <laughs> it would have had five stars across the board, thousands upon thousands of reviews, If you needed a table, you couldn't get a better table than from Jesus. Looking at our own work, if you take all the common attributes that a Christian is meant to embody, it makes for an awesome employee. Who wouldn't want to hire this person? They operate with honesty and truth. They seek to listen before speaking. They follow direction. They lead others with understanding and compassion. They love their neighbors. They work hard, and they seek to produce mighty results. The Bible lays it out for us. To be a Christian is to be an awesome employee. And last, a Christian in the workplace is a Christian, comma, in the workplace. As we define, work can mean all sorts of different things, a business person, a teacher, a pastor, a homemaker. God calls us each to be an obedient child in the place of work we are today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, remain as you were when God called you. When you become a Christian, God does not inherently call you to leave your job and pursue full-time ministry. Now, if you had asked me that five years ago, I probably would have said that that is the most God-glorifying thing you can do, but that isn't for everyone, and that's why we have Christians in the workforce. And now I, I firmly believe that that's just not true. Think about the seven mountains of society, the seven spheres. Family, religion, education, media, arts and entertainment, business, and government. God wants to impact society at every level. And to do that, he has ordained that his image bearers go and go forth into every sphere of society. We're not called to, our, to run from our spheres and go to the religion sphere or the mission sphere. God has put us right where we are, and we're meant to be a Christian in our sphere. I'll finish with an anecdote of what this might look like. Um, like I said, this year has been, the last two years, but the last year especially, has been the most challenging year for me with work ever. And I felt prompted, and Mindy actually had the same prompting about the same guy, to start meeting with someone and being discipled by someone who had, uh, I had a discipling, disciply discipler relationship with. Uh, years back when I was in college, and we remained really close, but we weren't meeting intentionally. 
So I reached out to him, and he said, that'd be awesome. I'd love to start meeting again. And so he's been discipling me for six months. And he is a Christian in the business workforce. Now, I want to share one of the things that he does to be a light for Christ in the workforce. And let me tell you, it is super manipulative. Okay, here, here's an example. He's in business, so he gets on calls, right? That's what we do. But this applies to any situation where you can connect with someone. But I go get on a call. I'm a couple minutes early. Someone joins. John Hino joins the call, right? Two minutes before it's meant to start, the rest of the group hasn't shown up yet. So what he'll do is he'll say, John, hey, how was your weekend? Right? Asking John a question. So John will say, oh, you know, my weekend, it was really good. Got to see my sons, we played a round of golf, we had a great meal. Yeah, it was a really great weekend, thanks for asking. Pause. Our social contract with humans dictates that with 99% confidence, something's about to happen. John is gonna ask me back how my weekend was. So John says, Lauren, how was your weekend? Oh, you know, it was really good, actually. At church, we're going through this really interesting series on biblical worldview. It was totally fascinating. When we ask people questions, two things happen. Number one, and most importantly, we get to know them. We get to know where they are. We want to know, as, as believers, where they are with the Lord. But two, they're going to ask questions back of us, and we get to let them know who we are. We get to let them know who our God is. And not in a Bible-bashing way, not like, oh, my weekend was good. I read that non-Christians are going to hell, and, you know, if, if you want to be saved, you have to know the gospel. Yeah, my weekend was good. We uh, had a harvest festival at church. It was totally fun. The kids dressed up. Oh, Lauren, where are you from? Actually, we just moved to Lakewood, California. My wife's parents are five minutes down the road, and we're 10 minutes away from our church, which we're super excited about. Oh, what church? Catalyst Christian Community. It's in East Long Beach. We love it. Day by day, we have the opportunity to know people and for them to know our king. Simply by asking questions and letting them ask us questions back. But that's not the end of it. Because when they know what we stand for, we then want our work to reflect how awesome that thing is. We want people to see our presentations with confidence and preparedness. We want people to see our balanced budgets. We want people to see our clean and happy homes. We want people to see our clear calculus lesson plans. And we want them to be attracted to the thing that drives our good work. But if you're the type of person, if you're the type of employee who is always trying to cheat the system for your benefit, who's slacking off, who talks bad about the boss behind their back, who shows up late and clocks out early, think very, very carefully about whether you want your coworkers to know that you're a Christian. Because our work is in the nine to five, in the 824s a month, in the on our feet until the kids go to bed 
our work reflects good or bad of who God is as our king. That's the biblical worldview of work in a nutshell. That work is an opportunity to reflect who we are as image bearers of the Lord. There's a lot I would have loved um, to cover. There was a lot left on the cutting room floor, which you're probably thankful for. Um, but if I were to give one book recommendation, one resource recommendation, uh, it's a book called The Gospel at Work. How the Gospel Gives New Purpose and Meaning to Our Jobs. The Gospel at Work. It's by a business person and uh, a pastor co-written, Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert. It, it's what I, I've been reading with my discipler. Um, it's actually a really short re read. We read it in like a month or two. And it, it's changed my life. It is super applicable. Um, it assumes a lot of, you know, that we kind of know a lot of the biblical theology. And it's just straight to the, what does this look like for us? And it convicted me, challenged me, and encouraged me. So I'd love to leave that recommendation. Uh, let me close this in prayer. God, you are the king of our work. You are the king of all things. And we thank you that in what we do, we can honor and glorify you above all else. We pray that um, you would look great because of who we are as employees, as teachers, as mothers, as students, God. We thank you for your purpose and goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It would be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus.